Trump sends out a tweet that history shows is actually very dangerous. College students in Hamilton, Ontario verbally attack a grandma because she wants to hear a political speech. And a man offers forgiveness and leaves a courtroom in tears. It was beautiful until it wasn't. Just a reminder to check out my other podcast, Church History. We talk about Charlemagne this week and the time when the kings and the church were trying to figure out which one ran the country and which one ran the church. During this time period, the Catholic Church gets the Vatican and the world gets ready for the start of the Crusades. So check out Church History, a link below. Also, if you're interested in starting your own podcast or if you have a podcast that needs help with editing, contact me. I love helping podcasters. This week, I enjoyed listening to some great devotionals from retired American vets. I enjoy listening to the awesome podcasts that I get to edit. All right, jumping into today, one of the things I hear from people when they're debating me is this. Well, you're a Trump supporter, so... Honestly, it's kind of annoying. I rarely talk about Trump here on this podcast or really even on social media because, well, I'm Canadian and he's the leader of a completely different country. But I do love his pro-Israel stance and I do like that he's pro-life. And to be honest, I do find him funny. And as a person who appreciates a good troll, he's very good at it. But I don't worship him. I just don't hate him. And apparently the rule is if you don't hate Trump, you're not allowed to have an opinion on anything. That's kind of weird. And I'm going to circle back to that point in a little bit. But I have always said, look, if Trump does something that I think is actually really bad, I would say it. Not just something I disagree with, but something I think is truly bad. Well, that happened this week. One of all the things people have been attacking Trump on, this thing seemed to kind of just slide by unnoticed, but it's actually pretty bad. Trump sent out a tweet congratulating China on a 70-year anniversary. So to understand why this is so terrible, we're going to dive into the history of China today. Now, they did celebrate their 70-year anniversary this week. That's kind of hard to believe. I mean, a lot of what I'm going to talk about is going to sound like ancient history, but it's not. Both my parents are in their 70s, so this entire story happened in their lifetime. While people here in North America were eating McDonald's cheeseburgers, China was purposely starving its people. So let's dive in. First of all, we have to understand that China was ruled by dynasties for literally thousands of years. When we think of Canada as a country, it's only 150 years old. And when we think of what Canada has done in those 150 years, it's hard to even comprehend that a country could have a history of thousands of years. So there was a dynasty that ruled over China for about 200 years, from 1600 to 1800, and that was the final dynasty. During this time, the West was becoming more sophisticated and had been through the Enlightenment era. They had factories and their living conditions had improved pretty quickly, actually, in a short time span. China was still mostly farmers and the land was divided and ruled by landlords. The regional government had a lot of power. 
Then merchants from the west came to China. They began to live along the coastal areas, and soon the coastal towns were very western, and the inland parts of China were where most of the Chinese lived. Missionaries such as Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Missionaries, came at this time. Hudson moved into the inland parts and lived as the Chinese lived. One of the things the merchants were buying and selling was opium. Now, the dynasty outlawed the selling of opium and actually gave the death penalty to anyone caught selling it. The merchants from the West really wanted this medicine, and this led to a war. The West won the war pretty easily because the dynasty didn't have any modern warfare that the West had. At this point, the British took control of Hong Kong, although it was actually just a lease that would last until 1997, which seemed like an eternity in the 1800s. In 1893, the day before Christmas, Mao was born. His father was actually a landowner, but had been a peasant. His father had worked hard, saved every penny, and eventually bought a very small piece of land. But he had then farmed that land and used all the money to add more and more land. And by the time Mao was born, his family had a few acres. Mao's family was not rich, but they were one of the more wealthy families. And it had come all from his father's hard work. A year after Mao was born, Japan and China went to war. It was the year 1894. China lost the war and Japan took control of Korea. In 1899, when Mao was only six years old, China had what was called the Boxer War. The Boxers were Chinese people who wanted all of the white people out of China. They thought the white people were ruining the country. They hated the merchants in the coastal areas and they thought the Christian missionaries were taking away their history and their culture because those who followed Christianity were no longer in the temples. They wanted to kill all the white people and it became pretty violent. They believed they had special powers and that bullets couldn't hurt them. So when the West came in with their military to stop the Boxer Rebellion, they thought that they would be safe from the bullets. They weren't, and the rebellion was put down pretty fast. People were not happy. They didn't like the foreigners, and quite honestly, they were tired of the dynasty. This is the environment that Mao grew up in. Because he was from a wealthy family, he was able to go to school. But when he was 14 years old, his father told him he had to get married. They had a wife picked out for him. He would take over the farm and continue to grow it. Mao didn't want the farm or the wife. He fought his father and refused to marry the girl that they had for him. The wedding still technically happened, but Mao never considered this girl his wife. Mao finally convinced his father to let him leave the town they lived in and go to school. He worked in a library at the school and then eventually became enrolled. In 1911, the dynasty was overthrown and China was in a civil war. Hoi Yi was the emperor at the time. He was actually just a little boy. He was able to stay in power in the north, but there was a new president in the south where Mao lived. The president made a deal with a general of the army and the north and the south joined to make the Republic of China. The general then took over and the president had to flee the country. The general then made himself the emperor, obviously not understanding what the point of the rebellion was. They were trying to get rid of the dynasties and the emperors, not trying to create a new one. During this time of unrest, Mao is studying in school, and he begins to study and really like the teachings of Marxism. 
This, of course, goes against everything his father has taught him. His father is a landowner, and Mao believes that it's the landowners that are wrong and should have their land taken away from them. In 1921, the president is returned and put back in power, and he's the head of what is called the Nationalist Party. The students lead a revolt against the government, called the May 4th Movement. They were angry that the government had signed the Treaty of Rai and that land had been given to the Japanese. The group also wanted a Marxist government instead of a nationalist government. Mao was part of the student rebellion. His time as a student completely changed his worldview. During this time, a female friend of Mao kills herself after being forced to marry a man she didn't love. Mao was very upset about this, and it reminded him of the wife he technically still had back at his father's farm. He wrote an essay saying that forced marriage was the same as rape, and that the elders in China were raping their sons and daughters by forcing them into marriages. At this point, the inland part of China was ruled by the warlords, and the two parties, the Communist Party and the Nationalist Party, didn't really seem to have any solutions. Then in 1920, Mao's favorite professor died. He felt as though his own father had died. Mao never got along with his father, and he had a really strong bond with this professor. He began to spend more time with the professor's daughter and ended up marrying her. Her name was Yang. In 1923, the Communist Party decided the best way to get more recruits was to join the Nationalist Party and pretend to work with them while preaching the Communist message. Mao did not like this idea at all, but eventually did what he was told and joined the Nationalist Party. This did actually work, and the Communist Party grew. Then the Nationalist Party got a new leader, Chiang Hichek, and ordered the death of the Communists. This was called the White Terror. Mao and his wife Yang and their son left and went to a safe area of China. Then in 1931, China was attacked by Japan. Chiang Hai-shek believed he needed to get rid of the communists before he could solve the Japan problem. He attacked the area where Mao and his wife and others were living. To escape, the entire communist community had to travel by foot for 6,000 miles. More than half died crossing just one river. By the time they got to a safe area, only 10% of the communists were alive. Mao's wife Yang was hurt along the way, but she did survive. In the new area, a woman named He showed up. Mao's wife had shaved her head to get rid of lice and was hurt from the long walk. This new girl had long, beautiful hair and no disabilities. Mao started to have an affair with her. Mao's wife caught them once and beat him with a flashlight. During the march, Mao took control of the Communist Party and became its leader. Chiang Hichek still believed that the communists were a bigger threat than Japan, but his generals did not agree. They thought it was crazy that he was not fighting the Japanese, but instead was fighting his fellow Chinese. Most of the Chinese felt the same. While the Nationalist Party had been the most popular party, people were not happy about how Chiang Hai-shek was attacking and killing other Chinese men when there were Japanese that needed attacking. One night, Chang was taken hostage by his own generals. They brought him to Mao. After a few weeks, Mao makes a deal with Chang that they will work together to fight the Japanese. 
People see Mao as the hero in this situation. He could have killed Chang, who had, by the way, been killing all the communists. But Mao had agreed to work together for the better of the country. So for the Chinese, Mao was the one who saved the country. Mao's wife ended up dying, and Mao married the girl he'd been having an affair with. Mao does end up fighting against the Japanese, but leaves most of that for the nationals to do. He continues to build his party and spends most of his time getting people to join his side. Russia, of course, comes alongside to help him, and by the end of World War II, the Communist Party is much larger than the Nationalist Party. Then in 1949, 70 years ago this week, the Communist Party creates the People's Republic of China. Chiang and the rest of the Nationalist Party have to flee to Taiwan and declare themselves separate from China. To this day, China still believes Taiwan is part of China and the Taiwanese people see themselves as free from China. It's still a conflict. Mao promised people a lot of things. Pay attention to what he promised them. He promised them free schooling, women's rights, health care, and free land. He told the peasants he would give them the land they were living on. He would take it from the landowners and give it to them. People were pretty happy about this. As soon as he was in charge, he did just that. He said all the land went to the people working the farms. They didn't just take the land from the landowners, they killed many of them. It's believed that one in every ten landowner was killed. Mao had a five-year plan. People would work the land and give the crops to the government, who would then make sure everyone had enough to eat. People were pretty much okay with things in the first five years. Well, the people who survived the killing. But the wealthy people obviously had a few concerns. I mean, besides the whole killing a bunch of the landowners. After the five year was up, Mao was putting together the next five year plan. And he told all the people who had concerns to write him letters with all their ideas. He said he cared about the whole country. And all Chinese people had a voice and needed to be heard. So people wrote in. He then had all the people who wrote in to complain arrested. They were either sent to war camps or killed. Then he started his next phase. It was what he called the Great Leap Forward. And shockingly, no one complained. The land he had given to the peasants, he then took back. As a lesson you learn from history, if the government gives you something, they can also take it back. Everyone who was working on the land then had to live in communes. He separated families, the women in one house, the men in the other, and the children were sent to live in an area where they could be properly programmed into the communist way of thinking. He then had all the sparrows killed because he thought that they were eating the crops. That meant there was no birds to kill the bugs, and the bugs then ate all the crops, and millions of people starved to death. Now, to be fair, at this point, women had the same rights as men, everyone had equal health care and education, and by saying everyone was the same, I mean everyone had no rights. Mao started to talk about nuclear war. He said communists had to kill at least half the world population if the world was to become communist. Now, there was food banks at this time, but Mao would not allow the elderly or people with disabilities to get food from the food banks because these people were of no value to the country. People were so hungry they began to eat their pets. Then they hunted tigers to eat. And then when those options were used up, 
they began to kill and eat their own children. The government even had to put up posters telling people, do not eat your children. During this whole time, if anyone complained about Mao, they were either killed or sent to a work camp. If anyone was caught stealing, they were killed. There's one story of a young boy who was caught stealing a potato. His father was forced to bury him alive. The father then went insane and died two days later. Now, all of this took place not in ancient history, but in the 50s. Picture North America in the 50s, the malt shops and the root beer and the movies and the hoop skirts and the motorcycle rebels and the Big Macs and the jukeboxes. In China, they were eating their babies. In just four years, 45 million people died. Then came the 60s, and Mao started to look around and see there was not enough had changed. He wanted to completely throw out the old China and bring in the new China. But he could see that people were still clinging to the past. He remembered how much he'd been willing to accept when he was in college, so he went to the students. He started what was called the Red Guard. They would beat to death in the streets anyone who disagreed with them. They would turn in their own parents if they went against the government. They had one goal, to get rid of anything old. That meant get rid of old ideas, old buildings, and old people. They turned on their teachers and eventually the schools had to be closed. Anyone who didn't join the Red Guard was sent to the inlands to be re-educated by the peasants. They had to work hard labor so they could understand what it was like to be a peasant so that they would accept communism. Many killed themselves. The Red Guard went house to house, entering and searching the houses, looking for anything that might prove the family was a capitalist. If they found anything, they would take the family into the streets and beat them, often beating them to death. They went into temples and took statues and idols and destroyed them. Many temples were completely destroyed. Thousands of years of history gone. During this time, Mao had many affairs with very young girls. One 14-year-old girl who had been a dancer told her father, who then wrote a letter to Mao in anger. Thankfully, there was a postal worker who decided to open the letter and read it. He then returned the letter to the father saying, Don't send this, unless you want to die. And the father was saved. Mao also refused to brush his teeth or take a bath for the last few decades of his life. He also had a lot of sexual diseases which he passed on to his many young girls he was sleeping with. One day, a leader of India visited Mao and brought him a mango. The mango turned into a propaganda tool for Mao. Everyone had to basically worship this mango. One dentist said a mango was basically the sweet potato of the fruit family. Mao had him arrested and killed. From then on, no one said anything bad about a mango ever again. In fact, in most of the factories, there would be a jar with a canned mango in it that the people working the factory basically worshipped. In the 70s, Mao visited the leader of the United States, Nixon. He told Nixon that China had so many women and he wanted to ship a few hundred thousand to America. Nixon declined. In 1976, which by the way was just a year before I was born, Mao died. He was put in a box and is still on view today. 
he goes down in history as the number one person responsible for the most deaths. Some put it as high as 78 million people. But really, it's impossible to know between the famines and the killings how many actually died. What we do know for sure is that no one who stands for freedom and liberty should ever celebrate or congratulate China on its 70 year anniversary. The first 30 years were run by Mao, but it didn't get much better after that. 12 years after his death in 1989, a new generation had become students and this generation wanted freedom and an end to communism. They had read literature from the West and they wanted the freedom they were reading about. They held protests against the Communist Party and while cameras rolled, the Communist Party sent in troops with guns and tanks. The students refused to leave and the tanks just drove over the students, killing thousands. Remember, I said 1989. That's really not that long ago. I was a junior high student. The country continues to be a communist country today. Then in 1997, Hong Kong had to be legally returned to China. The people of Hong Kong were not happy with that. China had been a dynasty when they left. Now it's a crazy communist country where you can't even say anything bad about mangoes. There was an agreement that while Hong Kong would technically be part of China, they could have their own government and be a capitalist country. Every year, a little bit more of their freedom was taken away, leading to this week, where the freedom-loving young people are demanding their freedom, and an 18-year-old boy was shot in the chest and killed by the Chinese government. So why do we need to know this history? There is some things we need to think about as we have an election coming up here in Canada. First, China was thousands of years old and in a very short time span, their entire way of life, who they were, was gone and replaced with communism. Canada's only 150 years old, we're young. To believe that we cannot fall is to simply not understand the reality that history shows us. Two, if a party promises free things, remember the party doesn't own those things. They have to take them away from someone else in order to give them to you. Free things means control. We should run away whenever we hear free things. It always spells trouble. Three, if you're a student listening, and I know I have students listening, I hear from both high school and university students, and I'm so glad you're listening. What you need to remember is to make sure you are thinking. Don't let yourself be used. The Red Guard thought they were doing a good thing. They actually thought they were fighting fascism. They were used to do evil things, and this is happening here in Canada and in the United States. Look at the story out of Hamilton, an elderly woman with a walker trying to get to hear a political candidate speak was stopped by students dressed in black with their faces covered yelling in her face. They were screaming in her face calling her a Nazi scum. By the way, they were wearing the communist red hammer and sickle as well. The picture of a student with a red hammer and sickle screaming in the face of a grandma and refusing to allow her to hear a political speech is not a new picture. It's the same thing the world saw in the Red Guard. 
This is the red guard and the start of it. What we are seeing in the schools is the same thing. Students are marching out of school calling for socialism in order to save the planet from global warming or having a temper tantrum because the adults voted for Ford. Don't be part of it and don't be used. Four, we have to allow people to openly say who they like and vote for politically. We can't punish people for the party they vote for. I should be able to both support Trump and criticize him without a problem. I should be able to say, hey, by the way, I voted for Ford and that should not be a problem. We have to learn from history. Don't be part of the Red Guard. In other news from this week, a beautiful thing happened. If you remember from earlier this year, a female police officer entered a home she thought was her own home and killed a man who was sitting in his home eating. This police officer is going to be going to prison for up to 10 years. The brother of the man killed was in court for victim impact statements. He said he forgave her and he wanted her to find the peace only Jesus could give and she should give her life to Jesus. He then asked if he could hug her. The judge agreed and the two embraced for a few minutes. The courtroom was in tears. The judge then came down from her chair in her area and walked to the area where the police officer was and gave her a Bible. The judge told her to read the Bible and find healing in Jesus Christ. It was perhaps the first sign in years that America could be healed and it was beautiful for a whole five minutes. Then someone from the anti-white community started to say the brother suffered from trauma slavery syndrome and the atheist groups are now suing the judge for giving the police officer a Bible. This is where we are now in North America and it is time to rise up, but to rise up and say enough. We won't allow our young adults to join the Red Guard. We won't allow the anger of communism to ruin our country. We will have forgiveness and freedom. Enough is enough. Don't be part of the Red Guard. I'll be back next week. In the meantime, for more podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit lauraleesiemens.com.